I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering from the Mecca of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter from Salt Lake City. We welcome you tonight. It's a live call-in show, so get ready to dial that number when, once I give it to you. Remember, if you have friends who want to watch a show anywhere in the world, call them. They just go to www.bornagainmormon.com and they can look uh, under the shows, click on Watch the Show Live, sit there for a minute, and it will come up, and you can watch the streaming video uh, just like that. Shout-outs, Terry from West Valley, a friend of Michelle's. God bless you. We, uh, thanks for your, for your viewership. Scott K. out of Boise, thank you so much uh, for your dedication. Our sincere thanks, my brother. Terry Lynn, my apologies. I received your email, responded uh, kind of without thinking too much, and I realized when I went back and read the content that my response didn't fit. So I apologize to you completely, and I will give more thought to the emails and slow down, uh, Tara Lynn. Shout outs to Heartstrings. They're a group of musicians who play every other week at the Tea Grotto in Salt Lake City. And they donate the proceeds from these concerts to underprivileged kids to get them musical instruments and um, music lessons. And I think it's uh, wonderful. They may be performing at Sugar House Park at Heart in the Park this coming uh, July 8th. Talk more about that in a second. Shout out to Carl uh, W, Don L, and Marty M, all ex-missionary uh, companions of mine who have contacted me in the past few weeks and who are watching the show. And I uh, just wanted to say hi to you guys. Love you to death. Uh, shout out to Trista in Columbia, Tennessee, an avid fan. God bless you, sister. Jonathan, who I saw eating lunch today. Pete and Kendra, the same restaurant, a great couple who uh, stopped by to say hello. A shout out to all of you. In-house guests. We have Spencer, Kevin, Bradford, Chris, Suzanne, Mark, Andy, Reed, Eric, and Melissa. And we love to have uh, people here, so glad they came down. Listen, Born Again Mormon has been changed. The title of the book now is I Was a Born Again Mormon Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. You can pick that book up at Benchmark Books in Salt Lake City, at Calvary Chapel in Salt Lake City, at Christ Evangelical in Orem and at uh, Christian Gift and Bible in Draper and in Sandy. You can also pick it up in uh, Logan at Oasis Books or you can go to the website at www.bornagainmormon.com and click on the book and ask for it. If you don't have funds, we don't care. Uh, we like to send it to you. If you do have funds, we do care and you can pay for it. So whatever you want to do. All right. Uh, 
onelivingtruth.com, onelivingtruth.com. It's a great place to go and see what's happening in the apologetic discussions. And these guys travel, uh, guys, guys and girls travel. They go out and they reach people and there's a lot of great stuff. So I advise you to check out onelivingtruth.com. Also, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, as an announcement, it says we will be premiering Living Hope Ministries' newest production, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, this Wednesday, June 20th at 7 p.m. The film explores original Mormonism through the eyes of those who have lived the principle of polygamy as Mormon fundamentalists and points to the way of freedom in Jesus Christ. For further details and for information on Living Hope Ministries' other films, please visit their website at www lhvm.org. Address of Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City is 460 West Century Drive. And uh, you can get them at their website too. Just do a Google search for Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Listen, this is what the video looks like. Uh, I should have told our producers that we were, I was going to hold this up, but you can see that on the uh, camera, lifting the veil of polygamy. And you know what? If you're LDS, I would really suggest you go and visit this uh, viewing or this screening because you can take all the information and gather all your sources to fight it and it will at least inform you about what the facts are. So this, uh, I'm sure Living Hope Ministries is giving this out free. Those of you who want to see it, I bet it's, I hear it's phenomenal. So I highly recommend you check that out. Two and a half weeks, Heart in the Park, July 8th. Uh, 2007 at Sugar House Park in Salt Lake City area, Sugar House. From 3 p.m. until sunset, we're going to have a bounce house for kids, spoken word, worship. We're going to have probably four bands, uh, really good bands. And uh, it's just a great time. Last year, we had a great time. Um, Bring your own food and drinks. We haven't reached the point where we can feed the masses Uh, but, uh, we'll have books, we'll have t-shirts available and we just want to meet you, uh, our audience face to face and uh, talk with you and see who you are. And we hope you're able to come. That is July 8th, uh, from 3 PM to, and it's on the screen. So you can just read that there. Everyone's invited except like last year, no assassins. If you are an assassin, you are not welcome at heart in the park. All right. Every Tuesday night after the show, we're getting together at squatters pub in Salt Lake City. Listen, the name Squatter's Pub should probably be more like Squatter's Family Restaurant that also serves beer. Uh, There's just so much going on. I mean, people think this is a darkened den where people are smoking and uh, signing hit contracts on their spouses. This is not, not going on. Squatter's Pub is an open, airy place. It serves great food. Kids are welcome there. They're there. They have a brewery and they serve beer. And I'm told that the beer is very good. I don't drink it. And it's, it's pastor in the pub because um, that's a place where people like to congregate. It's open late. It's good food. So if you want to join us at Squatters, please do. It's on 3rd South in downtown Salt Lake City. Start about 930, end when everybody gets tired, and uh, go from there. Another uh, reminder, Lord's Word a Christian refuge for the religiously disaffected. That's a mouthful. Our first gathering is going to be on Sunday, July 15th at the Gateway Theaters from 9.15 to 10.15. And everybody's welcome. And uh, it's just going to be a time to worship together, pray together, and go verse by verse in the Bible. And that's it. 
and then you can go out and learn to practice your own Christianity from that point forward. But we're going to meet every week beginning uh, July 15th. Uh, Christian Movie Review by Andy this week's recommendation is RV, and he gets it one half of an A. So why he reviewed this one, I don't know, but uh, we're starting to gather uh, quite a few recommendations and their family recommendations for Christian movies that you can enjoy with your family. Andy supplies those to us, so check that out on our website as well. We also had a few calls. Valerie notified us with some great information about Mountain Meadows Massacre that's available at utlm.org, www.utlm.org. If you want to hear about all the facts about Mountain Meadows, you can go there and find that out. Thanks for the heads up, Valerie. We'll include this information when we talk about Mountain Meadows in a couple months, actually. Nancy B., a wonderful woman and counselor of the, sh of the show, called to say that I was a little too arrogant or a little too aggressive with the caller who uh, lost respect for me because we're having something in the pub. We also received an email from people who think I come off arrogantly on the show, actually a couple emails, and, uh, and when I try to communicate with my ever-limited abilities. And so I want to address these perceptions quickly. In this type of show, I know this is kind of redundant, but it, a live call-in show that's talking about Mormonism from an ex-Mormon who's now a Christian and we really can't screen what's going on. I kind of take control in a certain way, and I realize that I come off as arrogant. Um, and in some ways, maybe I am arrogant. It takes a little chutzpah to do it. But I don't think I'm better than anybody. I am, I am a donkey, and I do believe that. So just try to get over the kind of rough edges that I use to keep the show moving forward. If the LDS had their way, they would call in and they would love this show to be, oh, I'm okay, you're okay, you're Christian, I'm Christian, uh, your doctrines are fine, my doctrines are fine. And so they're the ones who are always saying how arrogant and how mean I am and how full of hate I am. And in reality, I'm just trying to give you the facts. You take the facts and do with them what you wish. But I have to be emphatic when I give those facts and that's why it comes across sometimes as arrogant, arrogant, and if I'm arrogant to you, uh, I apologize. All right, let's have a uh, word of prayer before we conclude our discussion on the pearl of great price. Dear Lord, we thank you for life and for opportunities, for this station, for the people who are here volunteering, for our viewers. Uh, we just pray your blessings to be upon us as we deliver uh, these truths, and we ask you to open people's hearts that they'll search them out for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Once Joseph Smith had translated the Egyptian papyri of the entire text of the uh, Book of Abraham, along with the woodcuts and three facsimiles. Now, what, when I say facsimile, what they are, are Joseph Smith provided um, something that looks, again, I didn't tell you guys, something that looks like this. And it's in the doctrine, it's in the Pearl of Great Price, and it's a facsimile of what was on this papyrus. And that means, just like we have facsimiles today, I can, I can send this to you electronically and you'll get a reproduction of it. This was a hand-drawn reproduction facsimile of what was in the Book of Abraham, okay? And you can find that. Interestingly enough, just for your information, the writing's too small, but on one side of this is from uh, the Book of the Breathings, and the other side is the facsimile that Joseph actually provided. And if you could look at them on close examination, they are nearly identical. And we're going to talk about why that's important in just a minute. Thanks to Mark for that, by the way. Uh, but once Joseph had given 
uh, a translation of those facsimiles and three woodcuts of the facsimiles themselves. They printed it in the LDS paper called the Times and Seasons starting in March of 1842. 40 years later in 1880, the translation was officially canonized by the Latter-day Saints in this valley at a general conference, semi-annual general conference, where they raised their hand and said, this is scripture, equal to the Bible. Now remember this, this translation is so full of distinct LDS doctrines that it can never be discounted as inauthentic without altering what Mormonism is today. If the LDS church came out and said, well, the, the Pearl of Great Price, we just can't accept the Book of Abraham any longer, it has to fundamentally alter what Mormonism is today. What theologically makes Mormonism Mormonism is more the result of the Pearl of Great Price than the Book of Mormon by far, and probably even more than the Doctrine and Covenants, but that could be a toss-up. I say forget the Book of Mormon when it comes to scrutinizing the church. I think it's a, it's a counterfeit to the Bible. It has a lot of themes, and we've talked about that for weeks on end. And uh, it's written in King's English, and, but it doesn't really give too much that's against the Bible. I think the Pearl of Great Price should be the book that every Christian church teaches its members about. If you don't want, pastors, if you don't want your people to become Latter-day Saints, teach them the full truth about the Pearl of Great Price in the book of Abraham, and you're not going to have a problem with them wandering away. So I, I really, I don't understand why it's always the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon. I think it should be the Pearl of Great Price, and that should be the focus on what's going on. The story of the Pearl of Great uh, Price and its contents is what every single non-member should be taught, and most Latter-day Saints don't even know its origins. If I, I asked my wife literally five years ago, I've been married 23 years, do you know where the uh, Pearl of Great Price came from? And at that point, she didn't know. I, I'm really not sure exactly where it came from. And most people who are good Latter-day Saints don't really know the full story of where it came from. All right? They don't know its history because the LDS Church doesn't readily teach it, and yet the LDS Church won't discount it because if they did, they would be in big trouble with the Smithian myths that Joseph came up with. Well, guess what? Over the course of 40 years that it took the church to canonize the Pearl of Great Price, something occurred that Joseph did not foresee. Scholars learned to actually decipher Egyptian with the same amount of ability and clarity as they could translate Hebrew and Greek. Uh-oh, big problem. Big problem, because sequestered in the safety of the Great Basin down here, the LDS people were impervious to these implications. They didn't know men and women had this ability to translate it. And so they're raising their hand to the square and saying, this is scripture, came from God, we support it, it's canon, it's canon. And they didn't know that the outside world, the scholars were coming to the facts of what Egyptian was. They found the Rosetta Stone, late 1700s, and they started to learn to translate Egyptian. So even, the early, even if the early Utah saints wanted to know the truth about the official documents of the Pearl of Great Price, they couldn't have known it because Emma Smith, Joseph's first wife, she refused to follow Brigham Young out here to Salt Lake City, and she's the one who had possession of those fragments that he found and that was the church bought from him for him in those mummies. So she kept them. The church out here didn't have them. They just said, we believe his translation is true, and they uh, canonized it. 
So while the Salt Lake City Saints dreamed and, and, and Emma sat back in Nauvoo simmering, the rest of the world was expanding into that dangerous realm called scholarly facts. And one of the first scholars to examine the Pearl of Great Price was a guy named M. Theodore de Veria in 1856. And he had examined hundreds of Egyptian documents when someone in France placed a pamphlet in his hands called the Pearl of Great Price. So though the copies of the facsimiles were a little blurred for him, he could clearly see and recognize that they were Egyptian funer funerary, I have trouble saying that, documents. Deveria dismissed Joseph's explanation of the papyri as, quote, rambling nonsense. This was the first scholar who had seen Egyptian writings, who took the facsimile that Joseph presented to the world. He looked at the two and he said, Joseph, what he says this came from is rambling nonsense. But Deveria's work went largely unnoticed. Then in 1873, a man named T.B.H. Stenhouse wrote a book that brought Deveria's work back into light. Published in New York, the book was called The Rocky Mountain Saints, and it presented a serious challenge to the Book of Abraham. The LDS Church pretty much played ostrich at this time and acted like it didn't exist. 27 years later, in 1890, Stenhouse's book was republished, and in response, the church moved its membership to what they can do best, support the untenable by sustaining the le leadership and in October of 1902, the general membership once again sustained the Pearl of Great Price as the Word of God. In 1912, a Reverend Franklin Spaulding here in the state of Utah decided to pursue this a little bit further. So he took copies of this Egyptian artifacts that Joseph had said he translated it from, and he sent them out to eight uh, or more scholars in Egyptology. And eight of them responded, and these were their verdicts. Dr. Arthur Mace of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York City. Quote, Joseph Smith's interpretation of these cuts is a farrago of nonsense from beginning to end. Five minutes study in an Egyptian gallery of any museum should be enough to convince any educated man of the clumsiness of this imposture. Dr. Sace of Oxford, England said, quote, Smith has turned the goddess into a king and Osiris into Abraham. Dr. James Breasted of the University of Chicago supply, uh, replied, the text, quote, very clearly demonstrates that he, Joseph, was totally unacquainted with the significance of these documents and absolutely ignored of this, absolutely, excuse me, ignorant of the simplest fact of Egyptian writing and civilization. Dr. Flinders Petrie of London University said, quote, the attempts to guess at the meaning are too absurd to be noticed. It may be safely said that there is not one single word that is true in these explanations. Every one of the scholars agreed. The papyrus in question was nothing but a common Egyptian funeral rite that was not written by Abraham, that was not written anywhere near the time of Abraham. It was written 1,500 years later, about 500 years A.D., by Egyptians, and it was just how to, how to perform their, their funeral. How did these scholars come to this conclusion so easily? Pretend that you are looking at some writing that is done today presently, and then you compare it with writing that was done um, 507 AD. That's how much time difference there is in the writing styles. Very easy to see. 
These Egyptologists could see what came from the time that these uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics that Joseph Smith translated were versus the time of Abraham, and we're talking about a completely different animal, as different as writings of 507 would be to you looking at them today. All right, just so if there's a question. Well, at the same time difference, uh, let's see here. Then in uh, what was the LDS brethren's response to these criticisms? In 1913, LDS writer John Henry Evans wrote in the church-sanctioned magazine called The Improvement Era that in order for a true test of Joseph's ability to translate to occur, the original papyri from which the book of Abraham came would have to be examined. Otherwise, it would be impossible to tell. Now, this was really safe to say because everybody was under the impression that the original papyri had been burned up in the Chicago fire. And so there was no original text left. And so there we're left with the first vision. We're left with the golden plates. We're left with the uh, restoration of the priesthood. Now we're left with the Pearl of Great Price. No evidence, but you know, unless you have the real evidence before you, you're, you're stuck. Okay, But God works in very mysterious ways, doesn't he? And 50 years passed, and in the spring of 1966, a professor of Arabic studies at the University of Utah named Aziz S. Atiyah was writing a book, and he goes to the New York uh, Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art looking for uh, supporting materials for his book. And he's in this vast place, and he happens to look over into this barred area, and he sees something laying on a desk, and he says, quote, Dr. Aziz says, something caught his eye. Now, he's not LDS, but when he saw those things, he asked if he could be taken into that area, and they let him in, and when he saw them, he, he recognized them as what the people all around him at the University of Utah who were LDS were saying, these are Egyptian writings that Joseph Smith translated our Book of Abraham from. And he said, well, I've really discovered something here. So he, uh, he takes those papyri, and the New York uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art donates them to the church about a year and a half uh, later. And uh, they... They, uh, BYU scholar Hugh Nibley, he's a professor, stated, uh, quote, that the discovery was the most momentous transaction to occur in the church since the angel Moroni received the golden plates from Joseph Smith. So the LDS church was shouting hooray. We have vindication. We have the actual papyri that we can look at now. We can bring scholars in and we're going to show the world that we are authentic. We can be validated and you're going to buy into Mormonism and they can become the theocratic rulers that they've longed to be uh, since it began. Just a side uh, issue. When I attended BYU, I swam there for a number of years. And uh, while I, when I was a freshman, being a little bit full of energy and stuff, uh, we would get water polo balls before practice there at the BYU place where we worked out. And we would throw them radically over the, in this giant auditorium that had three pools in it. Well, in one of the pools, Hugh Nibley, who if you don't know, he's supposedly one of the smartest men in the world at the time, speaks 13 languages and all this stuff. He used to go and swim laps in the pool. Well, I was aiming for my teammate's head when he wasn't looking, and I whizzed the ball across, and it misses him, and it goes across the deck and nails Hugh Nibley right in the head. And uh, my coach freaks out, runs over to poor Dr. Nibley's side, and are you okay? And he looked like he was apparently stunned for a minute. And then he seemed to be okay, and then my coach ran back over. He's still a coach at BYU, and said, you just hit one of the smartest men in the world in the head with a water polo ball. 
it's a true story. So I always have that, that loving connection to Hugh Nibley. Uh, anyway, um, Hugh Nibley, the church gets this possession of this papyri. And it gives them a real opportunity. Um, there is in the LDS church, everybody who's a prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley being one, is called a prophet, a seer, and a revelator. Okay? Every one of the 12 apostles in the Mormon church are called prophets, seers, and revelators. Now that word seer is defined by Joseph Smith and their doctrine as someone who can read ancient languages without training in that language. So it gave the church a prime opportunity for David O. McKay to take these original papyri and use his gift of seership to tell us what they meant. But the church decided not to do that, and they instead sent these papyri to Hugh Nibley, Dr. Nibley. Unfortunately, Nibley didn't speak or wasn't an expert in Egyptian. He just wasn't, and he readily admits that. This idea of this being a seer was really emphasized in the early church. And let me give you a quote from Journal of Discourses, volume 20, page 65 through 67. LDS apostle Orden, Orson Pratt proudly asks, quote, Have any other denominations got this gift among them? Talking about being a seer. Go and inquire throughout all of Christendom. Can you translate ancient records written in a language that is lost to the knowledge of man? No. The universal reply of the Christian denominations numbering some 400 million would be that they have not the power to do it. You must give us credit of at least professing to have these great and important gifts. And the LDS wonder why the Christian community has a hard time just loving all over them, don't you? All right. Instead of turning the papyri over to the prophet of the church who was sick at the time or the quorum of the twelve for translation, the church decides to give it to Brigham Young University and Dr. Nibley. And so patiently, the church collectively holds its breath. They can't wait for this new translation to come out. In, very, in February of 1968, the church published a glorio, glorious pictorial spread in the improvement era, which seemed to just stoke the flames of the Mormon testimony. They showed these pictures of the new papyri that was found. And there was almost a connection that if you find the papyri, it must, the book of Abraham must be true just by the fact that you found papyri. And so there was this fervor going on among the saints, especially the scholars, that Joseph has been vindicated. I can't wait to see the translation. And I think that it was a little impetuous for the church to publish that. It would kind of be like the National Geographic to publish glorious pictures of who they think is the missing link. And then to find out that it was just a gorilla that had a really nice face. I mean, it, it just wasn't the missing link. And these papyri were not where Joseph Smith took the text from. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. The, pictorial, the pictorial layout was important. And um, because at this time, there was a great deal of embarrassment going on because of another document that was found, I'm not going to go into it tonight, called the Grammar and Alphabet of the Egyptian Language. And this was written by Joseph Smith. Now, this was a laughing stock. It was just a pure laughing stock. If you want to find out more about it, go to www.utlm.org and, and just type in Grammar and Alphabet of the English Language or Joseph Smith's Translations. You can read all about this the pure embarrassment this was. So these pictures now, the facsimiles, were really important. 
and they were going to boost confidence in the membership at large. Finally, we could know if Joseph was right. Hugh Nibley was assigned to do the translation, and in early 1967, Nibley and an LDS man named D.J. Nelson struck up a rapport. Long story short, Nelson got Nelson, Nibley got Nelson to interview with a member of the First Presidency at the time, N. Eldon Tanner, and he was cleared to do a translation of the papyri because Nibley couldn't do it. Nelson had been a student of Egyptian for some 20-odd years and had done extensive field work under the tutelage of Egyptian Egyptologist Zachariah Gornim. All right? For years, Gornim had been a keeper of antiquities at the necropolis of Saqqara. So, with an LDS Egyptologist in place, the church continued to wait. The improvement era promised the members that a forthcoming translation was on the way. Brother Nelson went to work with the Brother Nibley standing by, helping any way he could. Everything was set and right for this to be proven. They had the original manuscripts. They had, doc, they had Nelson and an, an LDS Egyptologist. They had the oversight of a respected linguist, Dr. Nibley. And what was the finding? After all of this, the finding. The papyri were ordinary funeral documents. Nothing more, nothing less, written around 500 years after the death of Jesus. Nothing about Abraham. Nothing about Kolob. Nothing about God sometimes justifying deceit on behalf of his prophets. Nothing about principles of astronomy, a pre-existence of spirit, or how God governs the heavens. Did Joseph lie? Yes. Did he lie in the name of God? Yes. Did he lie about important LDS doctrines that are embraced today and make the Mormon mind completely different than the Christian mind and heart? Yes, he did. Obviously, the church wasn't about to publish Nelson's findings, so Nelson goes to Gerald and Sandra Tanner, who were more than happy to publish the truth. After the translation, D.J. Nelson and his family, who had been longtime active members of the church, walked. They saw the fraud that this was. So Dr. Nibley is left holding the empty bag, and the brethren, his employers, are looking at him to do something about it. So when asked about the absence of a translation, Dr. Nibley said, quote, It is doubtful whether any translation could do as much good as harm. That is his quote. In later years, a number of uh, extremely qualified experts in the field of Egyptology have had the opportunity to examine the original papyri, usually through detailed photographs. Dr. Baer of the Chicago Oriental Institute, Dr. John A. Wilson, and Dr. Klaus Baer of the University of Chicago, Professor Richard Parker at Brown University all unanimously agree that the, in the essentials that the original fragments Joseph claimed came from the hand of Abraham were actually the Book of Breathings, from the Book of the Dead, and from the Book of the Dead for the daughter of Neskinsensu, or whatever. In light of all this scholarly evidence, Dr. Nibley began to suggest that Joseph didn't actually translate the papyri, but instead received heavenly transmissions from God inspired by his merely viewing these ancient texts. He put these papyri before Joseph and wow, the heavens opened up and told him what to write. The, the, the fragments had nothing to do with it. But Joseph's testimony were that he translated, 
verbatim these uh, hieroglyphics into the book of Abraham uh, by his own hand upon papyrus, by Abraham's own hand upon papyrus. Joseph made it clear that this is what it was. Today, Nibley says, well, you know, obviously he didn't do it. This is what he wrote in 1968 dialogue. Nibley says, quote, today, nobody claims that Joseph Smith got his information through ordinary scholarly channels. In that case, one wonders how any amount of checking along ordinary scholarly channels is going to get us very far. After reading this, I am certain that Dr. Nibley was hit in the head many more times before me by water polo balls. Okay, if you place any and all LDS refutations of and supports for the book of Abraham on a scale, and you put the facts here, it's going to look like this. You have to understand that. I know you want to believe your church. I know you want to, but this is something that they are calling scripture. They are saying it is the word of God. They are saying that you should believe in Kolob because of these things. Can you, this stuff has twisted your mind away from the biblical truths you should embrace. Take the time to find out. This is a gigantic opportunity. If you, if you sense that there's something awry, you've always wondered about this, check into the facts. Again, don't believe me. Go to utlm.org. Read the books uh, by his own hand upon papyrus. And, and you'll see that the book of Abraham was a convenient, magical prop Joseph used to inspire the saints who were struggling at that time. And he came up with a fictitious book that he called the word of God, and it is not. I plead with Gordon B. Hinckley and the members of the Twelve Apostles to say, forget the book of Abraham. Forget the pearl of great price. It's over and it's done with. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, we're going to Larry and Adrian Oregon on line one. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, sir. How come your lips don't stay sing, uh, lips sing with the guy on the TV? You're on television over here, too, in Oregon. I didn't understand your comment. Oh, I'm getting you a week later. Oh. I'm out of Boise. Oh, how you doing? Oh, all right. Got two questions for you. Here, some time back, you mentioned about the in the Mormon Church they put the veil back up. Yeah. Why? Well, I believe that uh, the Mormon Church kind of took what Jesus did finally for everybody and set it aside and reinstituted some more qualifications for people to continue to do, and that's why they put the veil back up. Okay. And the second question. Also, you mentioned something about uh, about tithing as part of the old law. Yeah, uh, you're wrong there. The old the tithing is not part of the old law; it predates the law. Yeah, not yeah. Part of the law; it predates it. Yeah, with uh, you're talking about Abraham. Mm-hmm. Talking about time of Melchizedek, way back when he uh, gave unto Salem ten percent. That predates the uh, the time of the Ten Commandments, whatever it was, way back when. Well, the Sabbath predates the law, too, but Moses brought it forth in the law. And it was, when I say it was part of the law, I just mean the Jews practiced it. It was part of their 613 commandments that they used and governed themselves with that law. I didn't mean... Okay, okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, I enjoy your program. Hey, thanks for the call. You're not, like I say, I can't see your lips move in the course with the TV. Must be something wrong. Like, we must be delayed here a while or something. Yeah, you're behind us a little bit. I was just in Salt Lake here last weekend. Yeah, you're, it's just Boise's behind us. Yeah, I went, I went saw my daughter in Twilla. Well, excellent. A great place to visit. Okay, catch you later. Okay, Thank see you, ya. Bye. His introductory comments and closing comments were tough to get, but I really got the body uh, very well. All right, we're going to Shane, first-time caller from Boise again. Shane. 
You're on the air. Yes, hi. Hey. Hi there. Uh, blessings of the Lord be upon you there, Brother McCraney. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. Good, good. Hey, um, there's something that's kind of been weighing heavily on my heart for quite a while. And, uh, you know, I've been watching your show for a couple months. And uh, just want to say, uh, you know, keep on pressing on. I mean, it's probably tough to persevere at times. You probably get a... Uh, a lot of different types of uh, fire from a lot of different directions, friendly fire, maybe fellow Christians, and LDS as well. But um, I really wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, I've been born and raised here in Boise, Idaho all my life. I'm 34 years old. And uh, something that I've kind of taken notice to is uh, I've noticed that um, a lot of, see, there's a lot of growth that's taking place in my area. Uh -huh. I've noticed that a lot of these new subdivisions that are, uh, you know, being built and, and, and things of that nature, that a lot of wards are uh, popping up, popping up, excuse me, popping up, popping, <laughs> I didn't even talk tonight, forgive me, popping up, popping up within the midst of them. I mean, uh, I looked down the street one time, and there was about five wards. Yeah. And about five subdivisions. And then I also noticed, uh, aside from that, that, you know, um, we're building more high schools here in my area. Uh -huh. And then right across the street from the high schools, there's seminaries, LDS yeah. seminaries. Yeah. I just wondered if maybe you can comment on that a little bit, maybe. Well, the comment is, I mean, the LDS church, they, they don't build buildings and hope people will come. They build their buildings based on need. And they're pretty smart with their financials. So when they see that there's a certain amount of members, they build a certain kind of kind of building. And uh, there must be a need there in Boise because uh, they wouldn't build it if there weren't people. That's how they do it. Wow. Does that help? So I, I was so, kind of getting the idea maybe they're like being strategically pulled. No. kind of really blew me away. Within a two-mile radius, there was five wards. That, was it just like, means wow. there, are, there are enough, means there's enough members in that, that radius for them to justify five buildings. So there's a lot of work for you to do, brother. Start knocking on doors. All right, you take care. Thanks, you Th too. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to Richard and Bountiful. Richard, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, I've been on the show before. Is uh -huh. it Sean? Yeah. I, last week you were saying that you get rid of the Book of Mormon and stuff like they follow the Bible, they can be Christians, but don't they have to have the right relationship with Christ? It's a really good question. You know, I didn't have the right... Uh, image of Christ in my head when I was born again at the side of the road. And I just don't think that you have to have the um, ontological understanding of Jesus. We've talked about this before, but really quickly, I think Jesus can be understood in a couple general ways, philosophically, ontologically and epistemologically. Ontologically means what was Jesus? What was his makeup? Where did he come from? Where did he live? How did he dress? What did he say? What did he do? Epistemologically means you understand him spiritually, that you know him, your gnosis comes through a spiritual experience. I epistemologically came to know Jesus when I asked God to take over my life, forgive me of my sin, have Jesus become the Lord of my life. But I ontologically did not understand who the real Jesus was. I still considered him to be part of the Godhead, separate and distinct from the Father. So, and I believe that, that that argument can sometimes, sometimes become just a barrier between Christians and Mormons. I think Christians want to make Mormons believe in their Jesus before they give them the Mormon a chance to at least accept him as the savior of their sins to save them by grace. So my idea is, man, uh, that's my phone. Uh, my idea is to at least just present the epistemological Jesus to Mormons. 
let them know that he is the savior of this world, that he will save you by grace when you give your heart to him. And then the uh, ontological Jesus will start to come through as they read the word and hear it preached. Does that help? Yes, that helps. Thank you. And uh, I just want to say that you're, you're doing great, man. I love you. And oh, thanks. And we have more stuff like you out here. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks. Bye. God bless. Bye-bye. I thought he was going to say you're, you're a musty clam. <laughs> That's why I winced. Okay, we're going to Adriana. Adriana, you are on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. 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 Fire away. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Oh, well, I'm listening to you. I'm not on the air. You're on the air. You got to turn off your TV. Okay, my television is off. Thank you. I'm LDS and I support your show. And I am grateful that you're on the air because you are the answer to are uh, the key to lots of unanswered questions uh, my question to the latter-day saints about the pearl of great price um god did not curse ham apparently he cursed ham's son where um do they come up with that a dark skin came on black people. I think they, came, they come up with that. I may be mistaken, but if I remember right, that Ham's, Ham married Egyptus, who was Egyptian, and that brought through that line through the flood, and their child was with a dark skin. And so how now black, this, so all of a sudden now we have black people on the earth, well, Mormons believe that they were white from the beginning. Okay. Well, in that case, let's go to Cain. He was white from the beginning. Right. And he was white when he killed his brother? He was. So what does black people, how did black people take the responsibility of that? How did white people take the responsibility? Black people. How do, I don't know, maybe, the same, maybe Mormons justify it the same way we take responsibility for Adam having fallen. I mean, we didn't do the actual falling ourselves, but we inherit that uh, as, a, as a consequence of his actions. No, I'm, I'm speaking is, off the top of my head here. I don't know the answer to that officially. I just know what I've heard bannered about in, in uh, meetings as a, as a Latter-day Saint. But I would certainly be surprised, I think I've talked to you about this, if I'm sure Eve saw Cain the day that you know, he murdered his brother, and the next day she probably had a, a great surprise when she took another look at him. And I, I absolutely. <laughs> My question is, though, if he, the guy was white when he killed his brother, yeah, black people weren't, were not on the scene. Black people were what? Black people not on the scene. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. No, so he killed a guy, he's white. Oh, and then he turns black. He kills the guy who's white, and then he turns black. That's the thought, yes. Yeah, and so how is that black man is punished for that sin? <laughs> that, how is the black man today punished for it? Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, okay, this is something that is a subject of great uh, myth, but there have been a number of writings on it that the black race in the pre-existence sat on the fence as to whether to go with God's plan or with Satan's plan. They were like, well, God's plan is pretty good, but Satan's making a good argument too. They were fence sitters, and so therefore they inherited this dark skin as a curse for their lack of valiance in the pre-existence. And when we, uh, so Joseph Smith then, he saw God, which is spiritual, and Jesus, which is spiritual, and then he saw black people and the Lamanites, who are not really Lamanites, but then he saw the, all the other races curse as dark, uh, uh, put a curse on the skin. Yeah, yeah, that's how he saw it, I, I suppose. I'm so, I guess that's how most uh, wasps saw uh, the world at that time in the 1800s. So uh, we've grown up a little bit since then, haven't we? Yes, because I do not coincide with someone seeing God, Jesus, and black people curse. Yeah. Either he saw God the Father and Jesus, or he saw black people curse and Indians curse and, or Indians curse. Everybody's curse, but what people? Except, I don't get it. Well, except us, right, yeah. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great scheme, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so keep the great work up. I support your brother, friend for you, love you, God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call. All right, we're going to Tim and Payson. Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, hi, Sean. How are you? Doing good. How are you? It's nice to finally talk to you. Good to talk to you, my friend. Hey, uh, it's just every time I watch your show, I really appreciate it. And uh, as I've indicated in some of our communication, I'm just in a point where I'm starting to actually reach out and uh, address a lot of these questions I've had for so many years. And uh, I was a gospel doctrine teacher for four years. And I would be cautioned uh, time and again to, to not encourage uh, the membership of the LDS Church to seek out the answers to these questions, despite the fact that there's truth behind this. Right. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I made the comment to you one time in an email, and it, it still rings in my head. It rings in my head all the time. Um, I, I don't know how many members of the leadership, uh, state president or what have you, would say, hey, you know, quit posing these questions, quit throwing these ideas out there, quit encouraging people to really look, you know, stay within the, uh, the manuscripts and the manuals uh, of, 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 the, of the class. Don't expand outside of those things, even if they are church, uh, you know, approved readings. Yeah. And realize that even if uh, all this stuff may not be true, you lived a good life the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and it... it, it it's it, it always really shocked me more so recently than than earlier before, and I don't know why that is exactly. But it's, it's always really shocked me that that could actually be a valid response to someone who actually claims to be a Christian. It, it just it still doesn't sit well with me that that response. Good. But that self deception is the answer to these unanswered questions. Good. I'm glad that doesn't sit well with you, Tim. You know what Hitler said? It's a good thing that men don't think. And, uh, you know, the church's stance on, hey, don't get people to look into this and these comments like, even if the LDS church isn't true, it's a great way to live, is just sickening. Uh, if, if people buy into that, they're buying into it because they don't understand what it means to be free from all of it. And they believe that being in it and tied to it is the greatest way, and it's just such a sickening shame. All you got to do is your homework. All you got to do is look and read, and you'll see. And then you'll start, yeah, you're going to go through a tumultuous time. Yes, you're going to have some difficulty in your life, but it's worth it in the end. So pursue truth. Uh, what, who was it? Emerson? 
peace if possible, but truth always. And I hope that the Latter-day Saints will uh, adopt that as their uh, motto. Well, and the other thing I'm running into with my family, because I'm trying to figure out how to do this, but I've talked with, the, with my sisters. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, you know, and of course the first response is, hey, that's anti-Mormon. And I'm saying, no, it isn't. It's the pursuit of truth. Yeah. And, and even in your own Mormon doctrine, there, there are there are edicts and the doctrine and covenants, what have you, to, to pursue truth and, and seek it out and yeah. learn it and understand it. Why can't we do that without all the sacrimony? Yeah, they they've really done away with a lot of those writings. Hubie Brown was big on that, and and some of those uh, you know 1940s, 50s, 60s apostles were big on you know you know search out the truth, go for the truth, because they this was pre-Egyptian papyri and stuff. They really believed they had it. And now they're backtracking and they're coming up with statements like, you know, uh, when the brethren have spoken, the thinking has been done. Uh, that's because they can see the advent of the Internet is informing people. They're starting to learn and they're starting to say, no way. And uh, I hope they continue to. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for the call, man. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Bart on line four from Salt Lake City. Bart, you're on Heart of the Matter. You're- yes, I'm still here. You're on the air. Yeah, you betcha. I want to talk to him. You're, you're on the air, Bart. No, I'm not. He's still talking to a guy down at Payson. No, Bart, you got to turn off your TV. You're on the air live. There's a, there's a delay. Oh, there is? Yeah, there's a delay. Turn well, off your I TV. Talk to him. It's me, Bart. It's me. Oh, this is you? It's me. Yeah, it's Sean. Oh, <laughs> okay. I love it when they argue that it's not me. <laughs> I wasn't sure. All right. Okay, but anyway... Uh, I was uh, uh, been listening to you, you know, and uh, and I know that you broke away from the Mormon Church. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, my mother lives up in Holiday, and uh, I've got three brothers. I mean, I got one brother and three daughters, and they go to church and that all the time. Uh-huh. And I uh, committed the uh, uh, one of the biggest Mormon sins you could ever do. I uh, married a Gentile. Uh oh. They call them Gentiles. My wife is not Mormon. Uh-huh. And they've, of course, uh, tried to uh, get me to convert her and all that. And I figure she's got her own religion and this and that. And so I, I uh, over the years, I've been thinking about religion itself. You know, uh, I know that uh, the Mormon uh, church, my mother, for example, uh, is uh, very, it's like a clan uh-huh. of people. And uh, you either cow down, it's uh, like a theology, they take over the state of Utah, and they've tried to, and they did, took it over when they were back in Nauvoo and, and Kirkland and all that. They run, run a, uh, like an Islamic-type uh, uh, government and that, and yeah. Joseph Smith was over it, and these uh, 12 counselors and everything. And my mother thinks the same way. She doesn't even... If I ask the name of my grandkids, she couldn't even name them. She can name all the other kids and that. It's just like she's practically disowned me. But yeah, I see her all the time and that, but I uh, I am really a bad guy because I did that years yeah. ago, and I've been married to my wife over I, 50 years. I'm sorry to hear that, man. It's tough. Tell me, what are you, uh, what are you doing now? we got to hurry. What are you doing now with your religious life? Well, I've been thinking about religion itself. I know you went from one to the other, and I wonder if you've jumped from the frying pan into the fire because uh, I know religion yeah I must I think it must be a human phenomenon yeah well religion is a human phenomenon but 
but Christianity isn't a human phenomenon that is centered in Christ. Well, I know that that uh, we are genetically related to the other primates. You know, like 97 percent of us are genetically related to the chimpanzees and all these animals world, and we're the top of the animal world, and uh, and uh, and uh, we're the only ones who go to church. Uh, chimpanzees don't, I know. Yeah. You know, hey, Bart, give me a, write me an email and let's see if we can communicate there. we got to move on, and I appreciate your comments. All right? Well, I'm just, I'm just uh, wondering. I'm not pro or con religion, but I'm just trying to think of it like if I was an alien on Earth looking down all these different religions. I know Christianity has probably got a, thousands of offshoots. And, yeah, that's you know, not, necessar- that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Even the Mormon church... Since the 1800s, has probably got hundreds of offshoots. Yeah, the offshoots of Christianity are not necessarily a bad thing. It's like an ice cream store. A lot of different flavors, but they're all ice cream. And, uh, you know, you want to be limited to one flavor, vanilla, and belong to a... You have to do it this way, then you might want to be a Mormon. But if you want some diversity and choice, I don't think uh, that's a bad thing. Bart, you got to call back. We've taken up too much time. Good to talk to you, man. I know that Joseph had like okay, four gotta go. wives. I got to go. I hate to do this to Bart. I'm sorry, Bart, but I had to move on. We got Matt, first time caller from Springfield. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello. This is Clarence. <laughs> what do you say? How are you? This is Clarence Wilson. Clarence? Yeah. All right, Clarence, go ahead. All right. I uh, just like to say I like your show. I like the, I've been watching that for a long time now. Thanks. And the question I had, uh, or comment, is that um, Mormons, uh, a lot of them feel that we're, as Christians, always attacking them. Yeah. Yet, um, Joseph Smith, um, in a way, attacked the Christian church. In fact, he said that they were all wrong, that they're all an abomination which is, uh, to me, is an attack on the Christian church. Yes, it is. That's a good point. And I'd just like to urge uh, Mormons or Christians to read the Isaiah 43, 44, and 45, Uh um, which says there's only one God. And um, also to remind them of the movie that's coming out, uh, September Dawn. I think it is. Uh huh. Is that the one on Mountain Meadows? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that those uh, those comments, man, and uh, keep going. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Keep up the good work. Thank you. We're going to Chelsea on line four. Chelsea, you're on Heart of the Matter. Chelsea. Yes. Hey, Chelsea, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. 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 I'm, um, I was wondering, um, cause my mom, um, she's Mormon uh-huh. and my dad is, um, a Christian uh-huh. and I was wondering, um, I was wondering why, this, um, how to tell the truth, which one is right. Oh my goodness. This is the, the best call. One of the best calls we've ever had, Chelsea. Um, well, can I ask you something? Who, which one of your parents, do your parents both know that you're calling? Um, my dad. I'm out here visiting him. You're out visiting your dad. Okay. Well, listen, I want to tell you, 
uh, my advice to you is this. Listen to everybody. You can listen to them. Your mother, you got to listen to her. She's your mom. Listen to your dad. And read the Bible and pray to God. When you pray, say, Jesus, Heavenly Father, God, please let me know the truth. It, I, you know, you can listen to me and I can, be really, I can really make you believe something because I can use my influence to do it and other people can do that. But God will not turn you away, Chelsea, if you ask him to sincerely show you the truth in your life. He is the one who will show you the truth. But read the Bible. The Mormons believe in the Bible and the Christians believe in the Bible. So try to read that Bible and then pray to God to show you the truth and he will. That's the best answer knowing as little as I do about your situation that I can give. Did you have something to say? How old are you, Chelsea? I'm about nine years old. About nine. You're, like, you're, a very, you're already a young woman because you don't give your age. You're about nine. That's perfect. Uh, you know what? Th is this the first time you've watched the show? Actually, it's the second time. Okay. It, it, do, you ha have, do you know how to get on the internet? Um, my dad has it on a piece of paper. Okay. Ask your dad to email me, and then maybe I can send you uh, some things that might be of interest to you. Okay. All right, Chelsea, thanks so much for calling. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Now, we should turn this into a kids' call-only show. They are so nice. I love them. They don't call me names, and they're sweet. All right, we're going to Matt, first-time caller. Matt in Springville. Hey, how's it going? Good, Matt. How are you? Good. Hey, I just wanted to call make a quick comment. Just wanted to say, you know, as a new believer, I found grace this year and built a new relationship with Christ. And just wanted to say, you know, guys like you doing this work, got to love you for it. Oh. Got to love you. <laughs> Thanks, man. And your book, you know, it, it actually was a good tool for to understand why I wasn't building a relationship with Christ in the LDS Church. Uh-huh. And so just wanted to call and make a quick comment, say thank you for your work, keep it up. Hey, Matt. Appreciate uh, it. Matt, the book uh, was okay as being an LDS to read it when you, in your search? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, I had all the same questions, all the same questions you had, and, you know, I was wondering why I wasn't getting anywhere, um, you know, working my butt off. Yeah. Anything and I mean the moment I received Christ into my life and you know received His grace, my life has changed and there's no looking back now. I'm 110 percent on my way. Praise so. God, man. Praise God. Thank you so much for this call. It makes our night. Hey, thank you. All right, keep th it up. Okay, thanks. Bye bye. We're going to Brad. Brad, you're on Harlem Matter. You've got literally 30 seconds. Brad. Yeah. You're on the air. You've got 30 seconds. Okay, hey, Sean. Hey, Brad. 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, Sean. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, my question is, why don't you, like, go after some other churches besides the LDS church? I know you, like... Because I know Mormonism. I was, I was a Latter-day Saint for 40 years. I know its doctrines. I know its teachings. I know Christianity now that I've become a Christian. If I knew Islam, I would go after Islam. If I knew Catholicism or whatever i would i would talk about those differences but i know mormonism so that's why yeah. all right man we're out of time thanks for the call listen uh tonight squatters pub if you want to join us www.bornagainmormon.com if you want a book if you want to email us uh heart in the park uh this uh july 8th 
and uh, we're out of time. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.